uh, jump into uh, more on Elijah and Elisha. So uh, today we're looking at Elisha's, uh, some of his miracles. This is a, a book fraught with miracles, and we're looking at a, a number today, both small and big miracles, and in one sense, uh, these miracles, they're, they're very different. Uh, you'll notice that they, some seem very big, some seem kind of trite, and as we seek to bring them together, we're going to see that there is ultimately uh, many miracles, but one God, and one God who is filled with grace, who cancels debts, who builds faith in those who follow him, who forgives his enemies and, and lavishes mercy upon those who do not deserve it. Now, we can get stuck in the miracles of this book and, and fail to draw them forward, but we must. Right? These miracles are not, in and of themselves, uh, the point, but they point forward to the far greater miracle of, of Christ's death and resurrection for his people, a greater Elisha, one who worked greater miracles than these and who worked those things that he might fulfill the grace and mercy that Elijah offered in, in simple miracles fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So with that, let's go ahead and pray and uh, ask for help and, and understanding, and then we'll look at this. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that your word is saturated with the gospel. We thank you that you have this message of grace and mercy for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you might build up our faith, that you might uh, release us from our chains, that you might help us to see the abundance of the grace that you have poured out on us through Jesus Christ. Father, would you help us to apply these things correctly, to work them out in our lives? And Lord, would we not be uh, receiving these words in vain, but Holy Spirit, would you use them to change our lives, that we live, we may live in the, in the joy that comes from knowing Christ and all that is true in him, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're, we're hitting three miracles today, and the first one uh, is a little odd, so let's look at it. Uh, chapter 6. Now, the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, see the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan and each of us get there a log and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, go. All right, so this is good news in the scheme of things as we've been looking at, uh, at First and Second Kings. Remember, the sons of the prophets are this, uh, this group of prophets who have rallied around Elisha. And they are followers of Elisha. And they're this, uh, I don't know, kind of a guild of prophets, which is good news. Because what used to be this horde of false prophets has now been transformed. And we have more and more true prophets and followers of Yahweh. And we have good news. They have outgrown their lodgings here. And so they must go to the Jordan River and create this, uh, this log cabin of sorts on the edge of the Jordan River. And then one of them said, be pleased to go with your servant. And he answered, I will go. So Elisha is off. They bring the miracle working anointed prophet with them, which is a good idea. And verse four. So he went with them. 
And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water. And he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. Then he said, Take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. All right. Miracle number one. All right. Throwing a stick into the water to make an axe head float. All right. This is a weird one. All right. So uh, the question is, what do we do with that? How is that supposed to help us? What are we supposed to do? Uh, now, the, the temptation in all, whenever we're reading scripture is to think first and ask, like, well, what about me? What about me and my life? How could I imply this? And we could come up with a million silly mundane lessons to learn from this, like don't borrow things you can't afford. Or before you swing, make sure your axe head is firmly planted. Or waterfront property is a waste of money. <laughs> or DIY projects are dangerous. Hire a professional. All right, and that's like, like you'll see that somebody, and they're like, that's what it means. Uh, all right. I'll remind us, the Bible is not a Home Depot DIY lesson plan. All right, so, okay, so we think, okay, okay, we can do better than that. And we ask, okay, well, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be asking about myself or how this applies to my life in that way. Maybe I should just uh, be asking, okay, how does this reveal God himself? And we may think, okay, that's, that's good. And we may think, well, uh, yes, God works on the grand scale, but he also works in the small scale. And he, he works miracles and sees people in their suffering and then in their hardship. And he, he meets them there with miraculous power. And maybe he can do that for you too. All right. That's better. That's better, but that's not yet, not yet there. All right, because, all right, yes, yes. There are, uh, there are miracles in this section of scripture. But I would, be, I would be amiss to say, you know what? Every time you have a problem in your life, look for miracles or pray for miracles or expect miracles. And that, Jesus, that God's just like shooting out miracles left and right. And that that's what we should expect. That your house is on fire and like God send an ice storm to put it out. Or my husband is really annoying. Change him miraculously in his sleep. Like, and I have to say, that's probably not going to happen. And I don't want to make false promises and misuse this passage. So how do we use it correctly? Uh, first, I want us to know that, all right, there's a reason there are extra miracles in this passage of Scripture. As we think about the Bible, is it just filled with miracle after miracle? No. There's clusters of miracles. And they tend to center around certain people. And so the, the remarkable thing about this is not that, well, God is always doing miracles. It's that Elisha, that God was doing miracles through Elisha. And so there's this one who stands utterly unique in human history and in the redemptive plan of God, this anointed prophet through whom God works these amazing miracles for a purpose, for a larger message 
towards the ultimate goal of scripture. And so the question is, all right, how does, how does this miracle reveal the way God works through Elisha, through this special anointed prophet, this one who's filled with so much kind of redemptive power, this one that we know is going to translate and point forward to Jesus Christ, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate anointed one, right? That's the goal of this, of scripture. That's the goal of a passage like this. And so we have to think about it in that sense. And to help us with that, okay, we want to understand, okay, what, what's really going on here and how might it point forward to the gospel of Jesus Christ? All right, so first, uh, rescuing an axe head doesn't seem very important to us. All right, this is a dime a dozen. And we th- okay, if you're thinking like, oh, and he, he might fix your mop or like <laughs> put air back in your, your tire, all right, not, not good equivalents because we're going back in time and we're in the midst of the Iron Age. All right, an iron, an iron axe is not something you go buy at Home Depot. This is something that, all right, you... you get the ore, you make the fires, you go to the smith. Like, this is a big deal. And so when we see this axe head sinking into the water, what is that man experiencing? All right, this is equivalent to watching the car you just borrowed plummet into the river. All right, that's, that's the, the reality here. And this is for a prophet, a prophet who... He now needs to repay the cost of an axe head. And we already said he's part of this like prophetic guild. They're not rolling in dough. So this means you borrowed something that you cannot afford to play back. Now you're in debt. And likely the only way he's getting out of it is indentured servitude. All right, his life is completely changed. He is now mired under the burden of debt and the cost to repay it. Now, when we think of it like that, it doesn't seem like this mundane thing to be like, uh, miracle, please. Like, if, if you, imagine you're a teenager who drove your neighbor's car into, a, into the river, you would want a miracle. All right, you, you would recognize like the, the weight and depth of this, and that's what this guy's feeling. So, Elisha, this representative that points to Christ is delivering this man out of crippling debt and the weight of a burden that he cannot carry. All right, we start to see the, we start to see the weaving towards the gospel, the arrows that point towards spiritual realities. And we realize, okay, maybe it's not as silly as I thought. What do we thought? We think about the, the debt the debt of sin and the burden of the sins that we've accrued throughout our lives. That day by day, even if you're a believer, you continue to, to gather this weight of sin that can weigh upon us and crush us with guilt and judgment and wrath, which isn't just a, a mind game, it is real. 
It is the real weight and debt of sin that, that we owe to a perfect holy God. Now, some of you, you you've actually experienced like financial debt and the burden of that and the, the guilt and the stress and the waiting for the shoe to fall and like the trying to dig out from the hole and recognizing that it's, it's, it's crushing you. Do you recognize that spiritually you are in that situation? That your debt piles and piles and piles? Right. That's the picture of this, this axe head as it floats to the bottom of the water. And that's where Elisha comes in as this great picture of our Savior. The Savior who comes forward and what does he do? He takes upon himself the great crushing weight, the debt of sin. That on the cross, he is crushed by the weight of sin that we have accrued. And he gives to us out of the abundance of his wealth, of his riches, his accounts overflowing, and he pours all of that upon us. And we were told, what does he give us? He gives us this yoke that is light. That it's, it's this, this buoy of grace that, that instead of crushing us, it lifts us up to the very heights of heaven. That we have been made holy in him. The debt has been paid. And we are not poor in the spirit. We are rich. That is the picture here. Do you know the better Elisha? Do you know the debt and the, the burden of it? And have you gone to him crying out, help me? There is a savior who is full of grace and mercy and who longs to free us from that debt of sin. And he did it miraculously by his death and resurrection. Amen? All right. One out of three. Next one. All right. All right. So the next miracle is in the context of war with Syria. This is kind of a double one, but we'll, we'll see. So it uh, starts out with a little bit of an introduction here. So once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not come to pass this place for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. All right, so what's happening? His king of Syria, he's setting up ambushes for the king of Israel. But Elisha is this early warning system. All right, so he knows where the king of Syria is going to be. And so every single time, the king of Syria is waiting and waiting, waiting, and he never catches him. He never gets the, gets the drop on him. And he's freed every single time. And the, mind of the, uh, and the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. He called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who, who of us is for the king of Israel? All right, so what does he think? He thinks there's a traitor in the camp. 
Surely someone is tipping off the king of Israel that they would know every single time where they're hiding. One of the servants said, none, my Lord. There's no spies. There's no traitors. O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. It, is told, it was told him, behold, he's in Dotham. Then he sent there horses and chariots and a great army. And there came by night and they came by night and surrounded the city. So if the problem is Elisha, then the problem is me solved by taking out Elisha himself, surrounding the city and getting him. Now the story turns a little bit. Verse 15. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? The servant awakes to see his city surrounded. A nightmare has unfolded before him and he comes running to Elisha, the man of God, the prophet. And what does he say? Elisha said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Basically, we have a better army, a bigger army. It's not a problem. Then Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha prays and his, his servant's eyes that they might see the army of heaven. That this physical army is unmatched by the fiery chariots and horses of the heavenly hosts. And his eyes are opened and he sees that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. So this is the next miracle. A young servant's eyes are opened to see the spiritual world, to see the unseen angels and powers and kingdoms And the odd thing about this one is, all right, the axe head seemed unnecessary. This one, this one is even more unnecessary. Because why, why does he need to see them? First of all, he doesn't do anything with that knowledge. We're going to see later. It's not even that those, those fiery chariots and horses, they don't actually do anything. It's completely unneeded. It doesn't do anything for the story, but it's there nonetheless. And once again, we're asked, okay, so what do we do with this? And it's not that, oh, I, I want to be able to see angels. It's to understand what does God do through his holy anointed prophet ultimately in Jesus Christ. And what does he do? He open the, opens the spiritual eyes of faith. He reveals what is true. He reveals his power. He reveals his, a faith that comforts and sustains and brings life. 
Now, once again, what do, I, what, do we, what do we do with this? Are there spiritual armies surrounding us all the time? Are there? Maybe. I don't know. And that's where they are in this case. But what I'm not going to say is that, like, you know, you be confident that there are fiery chariots every, everywhere you look. No, because that's not a promise in the New Testament. And I can't promise that you're going to be able to see them. This is an instance of, of, a, of someone who's given, given physical eyes for spiritual realities. And when this is translated into the New Testament, it doesn't become Jesus is going to help you see angels. What is it translated into? It's translated into, I will give you spiritual eyes to see me, to see the realities of the gospel, to see the truth that is now true of you and of me and of us together because of your faith. And Jesus actually says that, yeah, this guy, this guy got, got sight. Just like someone like Doubting Thomas. All right, Doubting Thomas, he, had, he was given uh, the physical ability to touch Jesus his side and his hands. But what does Jesus say? He says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The work of Jesus to open spiritual eyes is not first and foremost to see the, the kingdom of cosmic angels it's to see him and to see the salvation that we have. Paul summarizes it well in Ephesians 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. For those who have spiritual eyes, they have hope. They see the riches and the power that comes with faith in Christ. Hope. Hope that beyond the world, that no matter if everything is burning around them, that they will be with their Savior for all eternity as the apple of his eye. Do you know that hope? Paul, Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit might empower us to know that hope and live under it. The riches of our inheritance. To know that no matter how poor you are, how much you miss out on, you are rich in Christ. Because you possess all of the, the wealth of his holiness and righteousness and his kingdom and that you will dwell with him in all the lavish grace that was won by him and is given to you in his victory. All right. Oh, that we would know those riches and how free would we be, how generous we would be 
how abundant power that our eyes would know the power that comes with Christ power to conquer sin power the very same power that resurrected Christ and brought him up into heaven to sit on his throne is the same power that will rise cause us to ascend and sit on the heavenly throne with Jesus Christ in his glory that is what we want eyes to see that is what we long for our Savior to do, to give us that faith, to send his Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts. That is what we long for. That is what we ask for and pursue. We cry out to Jesus Christ that we might have hearts that are open, that we might have faith. You long for that vision. Right? It takes miraculous power on behalf of Jesus Christ to see. Oh, that he would do it in us. And now, a final miracle. Once again, he's opening and closing eyes, but this time, it is Elisha's enemies. When the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Now, Elisha, his servant, had faith and he needed eyes open to, to match that faith. It's just the opposite with these enemies. They are blind. They are spiritually blind. They do not know the true God, Yahweh. They do not know the power of the prophet. They are blind in their pride. They are blind in their idolatry of whatever gods they follow. They're blind in following the king of Syria. And Elisha, he calls for that spiritual blindness to be reflected in physical blindness. That they might know and experience the confusion, the wandering, the lostness, the helplessness, the hopelessness of their spiritual state. They might taste it ahead of time. And let's remember, like, that's, that's where or we keep talking about how God is gracious, and he's gracious here too. Because what other options were before us? He could have unleashed the heavenly fires of, their, of this army upon them and utterly consumed them. But instead, what does he do? He blinds them. That they might know they're standing before the one true God. And that is one of the works of Jesus Christ who parallels with Elisha. One thing God does through Christ is blind Think back to the Pharisees. What does Jesus say to them? He says, you are, you are blind. And you are so blind, you can't even see that you are blind. For you think you are righteous and you are not. You think you know who, who Jesus is. You do not. And what Pharisee is God most gracious with? But Paul. 
who was blinded, who was blinded so he might see. And that's where Jesus continues to do that work. Do you feel blind? Do you feel like you are wandering in the darkness? You don't know which way is up and which way is down, which way is right and what is wrong. Do you feel like the paths you are taking just lead to nowhere or just create more chaos in your life? All right. That is the gracious work of Jesus. That is darkness that you might see. And if you are being blinded by Jesus in that sense, take hope because the story is not over. Verse 19. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. So Elisha, he, he, he guides them to the capital city of, of Israel, surrounded by the king of Israel's army, plops them down right in the center of it and opens their eyes. All right, what's he doing? He's revealing to them the, the consequence of their spiritual darkness. It's this physical, tangible Reality that, yeah, you are dead. You are hopeless and helpless. And this is where you stand. You are against the Lord and you will be destroyed. Once again, this is a grace. Because this is where they stand spiritually. But to have it shown to them, to taste it, to experience it is hopefully to be freed from it. And so they know the wrath that they are under as a consequence of their blindness. Has God opened your eyes to the judgment that you're under towards his wrath and his holiness towards your inability to fulfill the law towards your, your helplessness to overcome sin and save yourself. That is grace and it is the work of Jesus Christ. Now, he has them up against the ropes and what does Elijah choose to do with them? Verse 21. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? All right, he's an eager beaver here. <laughs> he knows what he wants to do with them. And Elisha said, he answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with a sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. This is what God does through Elisha towards his enemies. He blinds them. 
He brings them to the brink of utter destruction. And what does he do? He throws them a party. <laughs> he throws a feast for them. All right, the, the, the mercy and the grace of God in Elisha. And this just starts to explode. Like We think of the prodigal son who returns in all of his sin. His eyes are finally open. And what does he come back to but a fattened calf and a feast? Oh, the grace of God and Jesus Christ. And that Jesus would find sinners and enemies, haters of him. And he prepares a banquet of his very own flesh and blood, his own self, that they may live through him. Right? That, is, that is what this story is. That is what this story is about. This is a God who is gracious through Jesus Christ. This is through Jesus And remember, one last little detail here. Do you remember when Jesus said that, you know, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? He had the same fiery chariots and horses and he didn't use them against us. Instead, he went to the cross. He died for sinners. He died for his enemies. He died for those who are blind. He died for those who lacked faith and spiritual eyes to see. He died for those who were under the debt of their sin. That we might have life through him. That is, that is the miracle that God has, of, of miracles. That is what everything points to. That is our life. That is the ultimate of all miracles. And I ask you, is your faith in the better Elisha? Have you run to him? Have you cried out as all of these do? Have you experienced the grace and faith and mercy of God in Christ? Let us run to him. Let us enjoy him. Let us continue to have eyes open to see all that he's done for us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for every scripture that, that gives us one more facet of the brilliance of this jewel that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would we love our Savior? Would we run to him and delight in him? Would we call out to him? Would we seek the life that is found in him and him alone? Lord, would you do miracles in us to resurrect the dead, to forgive our debt, to, to redeem us, your enemies, and to help us see all of the riches of grace that is found in Christ. Lord, we thank you for these things. Would you help us also to sing your praises? 
knowing that all these things are true in Christ. In his name we pray.